Okay, so first of all, my name is Tim Francis. I'll just tell you real briefly about me, like, you know, how I got to doing what I'm doing. Um, this is my wife and three kids, and anybody who knows me knows they're a whole lot bigger than this now. Um, this is when I first started doing this a long time ago, and um, my wife likes the picture. She thinks that they look cute, so I keep it up there, you know. But um, this is the family I grew up in. I, I'm one of six. I grew up in a small town in Ohio near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And it's a town of about 5,000 people, one of six. My younger brother wasn't born yet. But I know by looking at you that you are the faithful, that you are the core, and that you have kids and grandkids that are away from the church. Is that fair? Um, I, I've been doing this version of presentations for 12 years. I've spoken to thousands and thousands of people. And so um, I think this proverb is for you. I really, really do. And, and, and just real briefly... The church I grew up in was called Sacred Heart. This is me. I don't put that up there to be cute. I put that up there because everything that I'm going to talk about and have been for 12 years in the church has to do with the Sacred Heart. But growing up, I didn't care. didn't matter. Like most, a lot of kids, I cared about sports. In fact, this is me in the jean jacket. And uh, this is a very famous bar at Ohio State University. It burned down in the 90s. But in the 80s, they, they sold more beer per square foot than any bar in the United States. That's the fact. And if you know anything about college, if you went to Ohio State, and you, it was legendary. It was called Papa Joe's, the home of the bucket. And so you see that bucket right there? That thing cost $5. So like each of us would put in like 50 cents, and we would drink and drink and drink and drink. I was telling Dominic when we went to, uh, we were talking about our kids I never did a drug until I was 24, not one drug. I, I got drunk all the time, um, you know, went to college, never went to church anymore. And I grew up in, with great parents. But what happened to me is that I was a bouncer at that bar. And the owner took me into the basement. I didn't know what was going on, but he was doing a drug deal. And he was a big cocaine addict. I didn't know that. And so they introduced me to cocaine. I never... You know, I didn't do it because I was trying to escape or anything like that. I was just darn curious. I didn't even know what it was. And he said, would you like some? The first time I said no. The second time I said, let's give it a shot. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and, and unfortunately, that sent me into a tailspin. Um, at one point, I mean, uh, I mean, just so many things beyond the norm. It's, it's nothing to talk about because it sounds like I'm you know, war stories, but it's like, I went so far off the deep end. I don't mean, oh, you got drunk. I mean, so far off the deep end. At one point, they had to come get me from a crack house, and, and, and my brother drove me to my mom's grave. I'll never forget that as I was bawling. I just, one thing after the next thing led to this dark, dark world, and it all started, uh, really, as I look back, as Dominic talked about sanctifying grace, getting away from, from the sacraments. Well, during this time period of confusion, I went down to Texas, and so I grew up in Ohio. I've been in Texas for 20 plus years, and I met my wife, big shocker, in a bar. <laughs> and uh, we got married in Lake Tahoe because I wasn't going to church um, regularly. She had no religious upbringing. Um, my wife used to wear things to the bar you wouldn't wear to the beach. I mean, you know, what I mean, that's, that's, that's how I met her. And we got married in Lake Tahoe. I called my mom and dad, told them I'm getting married. They couldn't believe I was going to get married outside the Catholic Church. But to me, like, why would I get married to the Catholic Church? I don't even go to the Catholic Church. I don't go to church. So we got married outside the church. My mom and dad didn't want to come. This is a picture of my mom. You don't see her face, but you see what she always did. Um, I guess over the years on this talk, it should be called the power of a mother's prayer. That's what this, this 
should be called. And I've since heard from all the prayer ladies about Augustine and all, and all his wild stuff. And that resonates with me because I was definitely the wildest of the wild of my family. So there's my mom in Lake Tahoe with my dad, not wanting me to get married, but honoring just to be with me, I guess. And uh, we stayed there a few extra days. And of course, that's a feast day. It's the Feast of the Assumption. I'm going to come back to this by the end of the presentation. I just think it's very providential. And that same year, um, a show came out. It's called Signs from God, Science Test Faith. It was in 1999. Any of you see it? It was on Fox. Okay, 28 million people watch this. That's like the Oscars. Literally, 28 million people tuned into this. And my mom recorded a piece of it on a VCR tape and sent it to me. Again, getting the attention of her wild son. Boy, did it catch my attention. Why? Well, I didn't go to Catholic school. I don't know about Padre Pio. I don't know uh, of Catherine of Siena and Faustina. I don't know about uh, stigmatas and incorruptibles and Eucharistic miracles. I love the supernatural. Uh, I just thought it was fascinating. So I witnessed this lady who you're going to see in about, I don't know, five minutes, have the stigmata. I didn't know what the stigmata was. But boy, it really caught my attention. So I called Fox. I called, I said, give me the whole show. There was no show. It was just a documentary. My mother passed away. We'll talk about later how. And literally 10 years after my mom sent me this tape, this guy calls me out of the blue. Guy I used to party with. And the conversation kind of went like this. Yo, Tim, I was cleaning out my house, man, and, and I found a Catholic tape, he called it. And I, I was going to throw it away. I thought you might want it. And it was my mom's tape. So I go, there's mom on the other side pushing me into this. I Googled and I found this book. It was officially launched by the head of Catholic adult education in Australia. Man, I got five cases just like you of books, half of which I probably haven't read. But I got to tell you, this book, I didn't write it for 10 years. and never made a dime off of it. When I got a hold of this man... Because, see, he's the one who filmed the lady have stigmata. He's the one who, and some of you guys know about the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. He's the guy who studied it. This is the horse's mouth. So I'm like, I get a hold of this guy, and I, and I tell him the whole story. And, uh, and then I had the opportunity in 2009 to bring him to do two talks. I didn't do a talk. I was just hosting the talk. And thousands and thousands of people showed up, as they thought they would. And, um, and by the way, side note. I don't know how many people are 20, 30, what have you. Um, if, if after I'm done, you're going, man, I'd like to bring this to, to your parish, get a hold of me. I'll show you how. I don't charge anything. I, I, I've been traveling for 12 years. That, this it's not my information. This particular presentation will light that parish up like you can't believe in terms of people coming back to the sacrament of confession and holy hour and, and mass attendance. It's what it did to me. Um, People say, what do you guys, what do you do in the church? And I say, I work for mom. I work for my mom. That's how I look. She died and I work for my mom. So here's the story, Fast and Furious. It's the story of a lawyer, a journalist, and a scientist. And uh, let me tell you about them real quick. This is the guy who wrote the book. He was a partner in a law firm. Now here's his deal. Ron is like, I have a law firm and my wife goes to church. I know they shouldn't be separated, but that's how he looked at it. That's your thing, and this is my thing. He wasn't against the Catholic Church. He just didn't have time for it. His neighbor, on the other hand, how many of you are old enough to remember Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes? Most of you, yeah. That's who he is in Australia. Famous household name. He hated the Catholic Church. He didn't believe in God. And here's the rub. 
He was voted, I think, richest 200 people in Australia, and he had all of the resources and the knowledge on how to investigate things. I don't mean this rudely, but here's the deal. Most of you, if I say God spoke to me, you'd have no problem with that. You know, okay, yeah, of course, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. But the outside world, right, they think that's crazy. And so to have a guy with that credibility who didn't want to investigate this, it would be like Mike Wallace or Peter Jennings going on a search for God. Okay, that's, who, that's, who, that's what he did. Um, the other guy is from Bolivia, and he was a scientist. As you can see, he used to be an atheist. Um, and so they're going to take us on this ride. And now this is, a, this is a screenshot, a picture from Ron's book I took. And this, you can see Ron has this camera. Ron is formerly an attorney, but he decided to go become a cameraman. And he's with this uh, guy from Bolivia who's a professor and an atheist. And they're filming this lady, right? Now, Dominic mentioned St. Catherine of Siena. The jury's yet out, but given the context of who St. Catherine of Siena was, A, she was a stigmatist. B, she wrote amazing writings from Jesus. And she's a doctor of the church, I believe, St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah, and, and so anybody who knows about this lady says it mirrors St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, you hear that all the time from people who, who are knowledgeable about the history of mystics and such. Um, the only thing is, she's still alive. Um, and you're going to witness her have stigmata, not yet. Listen, so Fast and Furious, so anytime you see on the screen, if it says Jesus speaks or Mary speaks... I'm taking uh, the, directly from her pen. It's been three different bishops have issued the imprimatur. Her archbishop made her his executive secretary for a Marian Eucharistic Congress. And he went on to say that these are not just pious words from a pious person, that these are the words from Christ. That's what her archbishop said. Now, I started reading these back in 2009. And you can read them all for free on my website. And I have to tell you, I, I'm still, if I pick one up, I can't stop reading them. Um, as you can see, Jesus told her, he said, I'm going to pick you up. You're my pen. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to write messages. And, and one of the things that's not on the screen, he said, he, he said, people today, tell me if this is not true, people today have neither the time nor the inclination to read the Bible. This is in the mid-90s. And he said, so I'm going to speak to you with modern language, not to replace the Bible, but to lead people back to the Word of God. Um, and some of these, these books have been the best commentary I've ever seen on the Bible. All right, here's the prophecy that's really important. They said this lady was having the stigmata every Friday. When I say they said, they had proof of it. They had video footage of it. And they brought it to Mike Willisey. And the Fox Network heard about this. They hired Mike Willisey and they said, we want you to go do a story on this. And catch her or, or film her having the stigmata. So the first time they went there, they went there in Holy Week with no guarantees, but with thinking she was having the stigmata every Friday. So they thought Holy Week's a good week. And he went with the 60 Minutes camera guys from, from, from Australia, some from the United States. And they set off. And this is what happened the first time they went there. So if you heard him say, he said, on June the 4th, we've got an appointment with God. Uh, and then they honed in on this statue, right? It just happened to be behind Catalina in her house while they're doing this interview. Well, we know it's the statue of the Sacred Heart. I, as I mentioned, I went to Sacred Heart. But nobody mentioned anything about this. Even in his book, um, you know, what I'm about to share with you, it's interesting. And so they hone in on this, and he says, on June the 4th, we've got an appointment with God. 
Well, the message said, come back the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. Now, if this is the first time you're hearing this, this is an interesting way to invite somebody to your house. Like, imagine you're having a party on Sunday. You wouldn't say, come to my house today after Saturday, right? But this is a cryptic message. Come, come, come back the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. So it begs the question, what the heck is the Feast of Corpus Christi? Where did it come from? Now, many of you could tell me, oh, Tim, it's Latin for the body of Christ. I understand that, but why, did it, why do we have it? Where did it come from? And the answer is here. A priest was doing Mass, and during Mass, the host started bleeding. And it bled onto his hands and onto his altar cloth. And he took it, to, and so this is how we started the Feast of Corpus Christi, because the priest didn't believe. He doubted, right? And, but it didn't happen that day. It happened the day after. And here's the message. She said, it'll happen on the day after Corpus Christi. You'll be able to come with witnesses and film what happens. I'll have wounds which signify the passion of Christ on my head, my feet, my hands. It'll start at 12 noon and end at 3. Well, of course, from 12 to 3 on Friday, Jesus hung on the cross. And then she says, it'll all heal the next day. I'm not saying this is the first time anybody's had a stigmata or even there's been some film footage. I'm talking about a full predicted prophecy on a special date. And from beginning until end, the entire thing was filmed, right? Now, this is two months away. <laughs> so if you can imagine, Mike Willisey is kind of an arrogant, in his own words, um, you know, voted richest 200 people in Australia, don't believe in God, and he's sitting next to an uneducated, poor, didn't finish seventh grade woman that's telling him it's not going to happen. You need to trust. Come back. <laughs> and so the, the Fox executives go, are you going to go back? He says, I'm going back for sure. Uh, to, you know, and so they didn't know what was going to happen. Here, here's what happened when they went back. Okay, I want to talk about this prophecy. So it said, come back the day after the feast to Corpus Christi. I told you what that happened because the priest was doing mass. The host started bleeding. The priest said afterwards he didn't really believe. So doubt is what caused that essentially to be launched. Doubt in the Holy Eucharist. But it happened the day after. And uh, remember they honed in on that statue called the you know, Sacred Heart Statue. Well, the day after, which is not normal happened to be the first Friday of the Sacred Heart. The very next day was the first Friday of the Sacred Heart. Now, why is that interesting? Because two months before that, they honed in on a Sacred Heart statue and said, not knowing it would even happen, and they said, on June the 4th, we've got an appointment with God. They didn't know anything about these feast days. And God, as it will, had it set up that she would have the stigmata on the first Friday of the Sacred Heart. Well, and most of you probably know about this. I didn't. Jesus showed St. Margaret Mary his heart. He pulled it out of his chest. And he said, my greatest wound was indifferentism toward the Blessed Sacrament. So at the end of the show, and oh, by the way, I'm sure most of you know this, but I don't want to assume maybe some, someone snuck in here and didn't know about First Friday. I certainly didn't. But um, one of the promises that Jesus gave to St. Margaret Mary was that if you would go to Mass on the First Friday for nine consecutive months, he promised the grace of final perseverance. So with my family, we go to Mass every Friday, no matter what, you know, no matter what. And uh, so at the end of the show, he asked this lady, what do you want people to get from this? And he's witnessed the lady have stigmata. And what's the message? She said, I want them to remember we have a live Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Now, what kind of sense does that make? What kind of message is you just have the stigmata and she says, oh, I want you to know we have a live Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Why didn't you, what, what does it have to do with the stigmata? Everything, if you take it in the context of the prophecy. 
the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi, and it happened to be on the first Friday of the Sacred Heart. So I want to talk about this Eucharistic miracle real quick. Um, what time do we got to be done? Four? Wait, no? Four. I'm not going to go that long. Um, you guys want a break? I'm good. I mean, if we want to take a quick break. No? Okay, all right. All right. So by show of hands, if, uh, or you can take a quick nap. It's fine. Um, by, the, by the show of hands, and I'm not, you know, just let me know who I'm speaking to. Um, how many of you do not know about the miracle of Buenos Aires, Argentina? Do not know about the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires, Argentina? Raise your hand high. Okay, you, you have to leave. You can't come to a conference. No, I'm kidding. So, I, of course, I didn't know anything about this, but um, let me give you the cliff note version. There's a communion host found dirty in the back of the church in a candle holder. It was so dirty the priests didn't want to consume it. They put it in water. And if you put bread in water, it goes away. Well, it didn't. Um, I don't know how well you can see this now, but literally a week later, it started to look like a piece of flesh and it just kept growing. It didn't go away. So that's, that's August um, 1996, right? Happened to be in the church called St. Mary. Of course, they call the, Mar the mother of the Eucharist, right? And so I want to talk about this prophecy and I'll come back to that. So that happened in 1996. It sat in water for three years. And in 19, September of 1999, Ricardo was the guy who used to be the atheist. And he now was no longer an atheist because believing is, seeing is believing for a scientist. So he became friends with the lady who has the stigmata and the messages. And then she got this message from Jesus and gave it to him. And he believed her because he'd witnessed her do a lot of crazy stuff. And he said, tell Ricardo, I want him to take charge of this case. What case? Right there. Nobody had studied it yet. Nobody knew about it. Tell Ricardo, I want him to take charge of this case. And through it, I want to bring dignity back to my altars. And two things are going to happen. People are going to learn that Jesus is alive in the Eucharist and that Jesus is suffering. So this is September of 99. Two things are going to happen. People are going to learn that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is suffering after the scientific world investigates this. And oh, Ricardo, Jesus wants you to do it. And Ricardo said, I'd love to as a scientist, but in the Catholic Church, you can't just go into a diocese and do anything you want. The very next day or week, he got a personal phone call, Ricardo did, from who's now Pope Francis. And that's when he was the archbishop there in Argentina with Ricardo Castanon. Ricardo got the call, and then he called Ron Tesserero, the attorney, and said, hey, who's from Australia? And Ricardo's from Bolivia, and he says, hey, we're going to Argentina um, to study some supposed miracle. So before I get into that real quick, let's talk about this. I'm guessing most of you know about this. Is there, how many of you don't, because there's always people, how many of you have never heard about the miracle of Lanciano? Okay, it's okay. I didn't raise your hand high. Raise your hand. Okay. You know, the reason I, I several reasons. One, Jesus said this. It's not on the screen. Just listen. Uh, Catalina Rivas is a mystic. She sees and hears things we don't see by the grace of God. And so she's having a dialogue, if you will, with Jesus. <laughs> and she says, What a shame to see so many people approach the Lord in such a routine, humdrum manner, as if they were only receiving a piece of bread. And listen to Jesus' response. It's not on the screen, just listen. 
He said, how can you possibly be surprised at the laity when the vast majority of them are scarcely aware of my presence in the Eucharist? And they're just now learning about it. And he said, over the centuries, I have given my brothers and sisters so many Eucharistic miracles. And they roll right off their backs. Nobody knows about it. Now, every time I've done this particular presentation, people, for 12 years, people say the same thing. How come I've never heard of this? And I say, because there hasn't been a movie. I don't mean made for EW10. I mean made for Netflix or Prime or the big screen. Side note, I just got the story, right? It's going to be called The Exorcist from Wall Street. It's going to be big, not B, A. And oh, side note, if you know anybody who would like to be involved as an investor, I didn't say a donor, as an investor, talk to me afterwards. You'll probably make a lot of money, but you could do great stuff with it. But it's going to be a big deal that it's going to show the Catholic, boldly show the Catholic faith in a very engaging and entertaining way. And we're going to attract millions of people who have nothing to do with religion because they'll be interested in the exorcist from Wall Street. Okay, back to Lanciano. Okay, so here's the quick, the quick story on that. So there's a priest doing Mass. This is kind of the thread. And, and during Mass, the wine turns into five clots of blood. If you can see that, you're looking at it. The, the bread turns into flesh. And there's a whole bunch of stuff we can say about this, but for my purposes, I'm going to focus on this guy. He's the guy that studied this. He's the scientist commissioned to study this. He was being interviewed in the early 2000s by the Mike Wallace guy. Mike Willisey? Mike got him out of retirement because he wanted to talk to the horse's mouth about the miracle of Lanciano. And he said, and then we discovered that it was heart muscle because it has the typical structure of the myocardia. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't even have to, all you have to hear is two things, heart muscle and myocardia. Okay, so now that's, that's from a miracle of Lanciano. That's 700 AD, right? A long time ago, studied in the 70s, interviewed in 2001. Okay, this is the miracle of Lanciano. Now let's talk about the miracle, uh, the supposed miracle in Argentina, Venezuela, right? This is 1996. Sits in water for, um, I don't know, three years. And then in 2004, uh, Ron Tessarero, the attorney, and Mike Willisey flew from Australia to New York to, to this man's house. He was retired. Because through all their research, Ron had determined that he was the best of the best on the heart. He'd done over 10,000 autopsies in his lifetime on homicides. He knew blood work like you couldn't believe. And his, his business, as he says, was the heart. And looking through a microscope, he said, this is heart muscle tissue from the myocardium. I don't know if you're still awake or sleeping, but uh, the one in Argentina, all right, the one in uh, Lanciano, he said it was heart muscle, myocardia. 1,200 years apart, now this scientist is saying the same thing, heart muscle from myocardia. You don't have to be an investigative journalist to go, huh, what's, this, what's the specific why? What's the deal with that part of the heart? Like he literally, I've got a video you can see on his interview when they went to his house, and he, and he pointed to this, this heart, exactly the same place of the miracle of Lanciano, to an exact place, not knowing anything about that. And he says, right here. And he says, so Ron, the attorney, says, okay, what's the significance of that place of the heart? Like, what is it? And he said, it's the muscle that gives the heart its beat 
and the body it's life. Well, you know, being at a Catholic conference, that the Eucharist is considered the source and summit of all Christian life. Dominic said it earlier. If the sun stopped shining, all life would be taken away. In the same way, if the Eucharist is taken away from the church, all of its activities would die. That's what Jesus told Catalina. Um, hopefully you got the thread there. My heart muscle, myocardium, left ventricle. Okay, so St. John Paul the Great said it the best. The Eucharist is the, and this is worth $10 if you can get this. Heart, there you go. The Eucharist is the heart of the church. <laughs> How literally correct he was, right? Heart tissue. Let's go back to Buenos Aires. Now remember, when they sent these samples around to these labs, they were blind studies. They don't know where they're from. It's like, you know, law and order, right? You know, CSI. And so he says, um, the heart muscle's inflamed. He thinks it's a homicide. He's done 10,000 autopsies. The heart muscle's inflamed. There's been recent injury like those I see in cases where somebody has been beaten around the chest. This person must have been very beat up. Quote, the person that had this heart must have been very wounded. They were tortured. That's pretty darn specific, don't you think? Um, talking about this, what he thinks is a homicide, not knowing it's from a, a consecrated flesh or consecrated host. <laughs> now let's go back to the prophecy, September of 99. Tell Ricardo I want him to take charge of this case. And through it, I want to bring dignity back to my altars. Two things are going to happen. People are going to learn that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is suffering. Remember that prophecy? That's September of 99. Fast forward, 2004. He says, this person was alive at the time the sample was taken. I, I've spared some details in videos, but they asked, they asked the scientists, many of them, if they said, if you took living cells and you put them in water, how long before they would dissolve? And both scientists said, oh, minutes to an hour, they'd be gone. He found white blood cells. He doesn't know where it's from. See, white blood cells cannot live outside the body. They feed on living tissue. He says, so he goes on to say, he says, we're looking at the heart of a living person. <laughs> trying to put my head around that. We're looking at the heart of a living person who has suffered severe trauma. Just if, So like two days ago, you took a piece of heart from somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It sat water for many years. Jesus says, my heart is a burning furnace, passionate with love for the salvation of souls. It bleeds and suffers. 1991, there's a priest in Venezuela. The host bleeds. The church gets involved. And you probably know the church is the most skeptical, cautious institution alive. They don't promote miraculous stuff. And I mean, they go to great lengths to try to figure out if there's any tricks or any other explanation. Yeah. So the church determines it's worthy of belief. In 1998, some guy in New Jersey goes to Venezuela. And afterwards, the priest opens up the tabernacle and shows him, this is, the, this is where we keep the host, the miracle. And he takes out his camcorder, and he doesn't think he's going to film anything spectacular. He's just, just like if you went and saw the Statue of Liberty, right? He's, here we are. And look what he, what, if you can see it, look what he catches on film. It looks like a burning furnace to me. I think it also looks like a, um, a sonogram with a heart beating. And of course, you probably know that Father John Harden in St. Teresa of Calcutta said that the solution to killing babies is Eucharistic adoration. I showed you a picture of my mom on her knees. I was getting married outside the church. It was March 25th. Of course, today's March 25th. And of course, you do, you do know what feast day that is, yeah? 
Feast of Annunciation. Um, so August 15th was, was the assumption. That's when my mother was on her knees, uh, praying for everybody she ever met in her life. I was getting married outside the church. I was struggling with addiction big time. And uh, that, that picture, they took you into Catalina's house, the Our Lady of Guadalupe, and, and the belly was lighting up, if you saw that at the beginning. That was March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation. And then, of course, December 8th is the Immaculate Conception. Uh, again, not by chance. Um, that's why I say this should be called the power of a mother's prayer, both for my mom and Our Lady, because there you go, Mary, they call her the mother of the Eucharist. Um, this is not a Eucharistic miracles presentation, but let me show you a couple more. This is Tixla, Mexico. The blood came from inside the host, they said. They went on to say it's from a heart that suffered, and then they said, this is AB blood type. It's the same as the miracle of Lanciano. It's the same as the Shroud of Turin, and less than 7% of the people in the world have this blood type, and guess where they're from? Where Jesus Christ is from. It's pretty amazing. One more I'll show you. Ron Tesserero studied this one as well. It's just like the miracle in Argentina. It was, it, the communion host fell, it was dirty. They put in water and it didn't go away. When they studied it, they said it was myocardial heart tissue. It's from a heart that suffered. And they went on to say the sample analyzed was not from a dead person, the person was alive. So here's my question. I see this lady have stigmata. I'm like, it would be like if you sent me a tape of Bigfoot. I don't have any reference point for, for Padre Pio. I just know that looks pretty darn crazy. I want to know if it's true. I called Fox. There's no conversions yet. No, the, the, the guy who, who filmed her, the famous Mike Willisey guy, he didn't convert right away. I'll explain that in a bit. And so I have to wait 10 years to find out anything about this. The book was written in 2007. I didn't get it until 2009. So I have two questions. One, is it real? Oh my goodness, I know y'all believe this stuff, but I'm saying for anybody at any level of journalism or investigative reporting, there is more evidence for what's in Ron's book, Reason to Believe, than you can find in almost anything miraculous ever. Okay, they didn't have camcorders showing Fatima. I love it, it's an approved deal. But what I'm saying is for a doubting Thomas and for the people who love science, this is a slam dunk. It should be all over the world um, because it's so validated. But the big question for me is, what does it mean? <laughs> like, what, what do I do with it? <clears throat> and so I want to get into the message. Why is Jesus' heart suffering? I'm going to let Jesus answer it. He says, this heart of mine suffers because each day the number of sins that are committed. And then he lists them. I like specifics. He says, sacrilege, lukewarmness, and indifferentism. Um... At the end, I'll give you my email or contact information. You can take a picture, write it down, what have you. If you're interested, there's a, a, a page. She's got like 70 books. Um, but I, there's a page, a page and a half that I have that's called what is, that Jesus gave her that's called What is Actual Lukewarmness? It's pretty profound. I'll email it to you. Okay, Jesus, when he was getting beaten, I mean... Um, he, he, he wrote a book called The Passion. He, gave it to, he, gave it, he, he used her to write a book called The Passion. And um, I've read lots of stuff. That little booklet called The Passion, if you watch that and then watch Mel Gibson's movie, it's a whole new level. Um, and this is what he said. He said, when those filthy and repugnant hands dealt me blows and slaps, I saw how often I would be struck and slapped by so many souls who without purifying themselves of their sins, without cleaning their house with a good confession, would receive me in their hearts. 
And you know the scriptures. Paul says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. He goes on to say, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And I just want to pause a minute. In the practical real world, um, I look back and I go, started doing cocaine maybe 2000. No, that was... Yeah, so like 1993, um, and I started tracing all this back, stopped going to church, stopped doing this, and I go, I used to go home and go to mass with my mom and dad, and I got massive amounts of filth all over me, you know what I mean? Like massive, right? Uh, from all kinds of crazy stuff we used to do. And so I can see how, the, how destructive this was, practically speaking, in my life. I'm not saying I was committing a mortal sin. We'll discuss that. I may have been. I don't think I was fully aware. But certainly it was something that was destroying my soul and sending me to hell. There's no question. I say if I would have died in college, I would have went to hell. People say, because, you know, like one pastor said, he goes, what makes you think you can live like hell and go to heaven? <laughs> you know, but everybody goes to this thing. Well, my kids are just going through this and all this kind of stuff. It's like... Um, all right, so St. Thomas Aquinas, we talked about him earlier. I don't know if you already prayed this prayer, but um, this is a prayer that he says you should pray after communion. So after you receive communion, you go back and you say, I pray that this Holy Communion may not bring me condemnation and punishment. It's like, well, why would it bring me condemnation and punishment? Because Paul says anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. But then he says a bunch of good stuff. He said, may I cancel my faults, destroy concupiscence. I'm guessing you know this, but concupiscence is our natural tendency to please ourselves. May it increase my charity, patience, humility. So imagine 100% of the people who receive communion that are not in mortal sin, right afterwards go back and kneel down, and they're not text messaging, they're not reading the bulletin, they're praying this prayer. The church says, a person who receives communion in mortal sin receives the body and blood of Christ, but does not receive his grace, and he commits what? A sacrilege. Jesus says, my heart's suffering. Why is the, why is the host bleeding? He says, my heart's suffering. It's heart tissue because of the number of sins. And he says, sacrilege, lukewarmness, and indifferentism, right? Um, you probably know the catechism took five years and nine rewrites and 200 theologians and so the catechism says, a sacrilege is a grave sin, especially when committed against the Eucharist. For in this sacrament, the true body of Christ is made substantially present for us. I don't know if he's, he's come, come here to speak or not, but have you guys heard of Zachary King? Okay, Zachary King, yeah. So if you don't, he worshiped Satan for 26 years. Zachary was a high wizard, and uh, he used to work spells and black magic and um, he's a great person to talk to because he can tell you what's really going on behind the scenes in, in satanic covens. So um, Zachary told me, me and my son, about six years ago, he said the going rate for a consecrated host was $5,000. So in other words, satanic covens will pay people five grand, he said, to steal a consecrated host. And he said they take it to a black mass and they desecrate Jesus. And this is what it's talking about, right? But the church also says, if you receive communion, mortal sin, you do, 
You do get the body and blood of Christ, but you don't get his grace and you commit the same thing. You commit a sacrilege. The church said it's a mortal sin to miss mass on Sunday or a holy day of the obligation, unless we're excused for a serious reason. And uh, Dr. Gregory told me that the, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl was not a good reason to miss mass. Nor is being down in Clearwater Beach with your grandkids. You know, you know this as well as I do, but Ash Wednesdays, it was, it, you know, in my church in Fort Worth, man, it was off, it was so crowded, you couldn't, the largest church in the diocese, man, they had parking spots, you thought it was a Christmas double bonus mass or something, and it was Ash Wednesday, it's not even a holy day, it's good to go, and why do I say that? Because you know as well as I knew that we are so ill-informed about our faith. It's unbelievable. So I don't think people are bad people. I think there's just so much ignorance going around and people just need to be woken up to the truth. I really believe that. The church said immediately after we die, if we die in mortal sin, yeah, of course we go to hell. No loving father wants their son to go to hell. And my dad, who's a very loving man, did not want me to end up in a crack house. But he couldn't stop me. Right? Because I have free will. Now, there's three conditions to be mortal. One is grave matter. I'm sure most of you know this, but in case you somehow got in here and you've been to 50,000 conferences, but you tend to blow off a holy day, which probably you don't, missing a holy day of obligation is absolutely grave matter. 100%, no question about it. Um, but you've got to have full knowledge. You know, God's not some guy trying to slam everybody. He's a loving father. He sets out the rules, the guidelines, and then full consent of the will. The church says anyone conscious of a grave sin has to go see a priest. Again, in this little room, I'm sure most of you have no problem with that. Uh, in case there's anybody saying, I don't want to go see a priest because I don't trust him, I go right to God. Unfortunately, that's unbiblical. Jesus, right before he died, he breathed on him. And he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Jesus said this to Catalina. I'll read it slow. Talk to the world about sacramental confession, that source of saving water that awaits everybody. And whoever is immersed in this water will be protected from the enemies of the soul. I told you I'm making a movie called The Exorcist from Wall Street. It's based on a true story. He was molested as a child by a priest. He went off to Wall Street. He launched Jennifer Lopez's clothing line. And then he, be, he had a massive conversion starting in Medjugorje. And now he's a priest and an exorcist. And um, I, so I've been studying everything I can do on the ministry of exorcism. And um, it said from, as you probably know, Father Gabriel Amort, the chief exorcist for the Vatican, which there's a movie coming out, I think in April, um, called The Pope's Exorcist. He says, a good confession is more powerful than an exorcism. <laughs> he says, I would never do an exorcism ever before having a good confession because I would get beat to a pulp by the demonic influences. Jesus told Faustina, when you approach the confessional, I myself am waiting there. I'm only hidden by the priest, but it's me, who, of course, you know, in persona Christi, who acts in your soul. He said, the great, right, the greater the sinner, the greater the mercy. I desire to heal mankind, pressing it to my merciful heart. Okay, so here's the thing. Can you see the screen? Good. All right. So Mike Willisie, the Mike Wallace guy, he didn't convert after he filmed that lady have stigmata. And he died in 2019 of throat cancer, and he wrote a book journaling his whole life. Quick background. I like sports, so I'll use Muhammad Ali. 
So I don't know if you remember Muhammad Ali was gonna fight Joe Frazier for the third time. It was a big deal. And every journalist in the world wanted to spend time with Muhammad Ali. And if you Google Mike Willisey and Muhammad Ali, you'll see he got a whole week with him because that's who he was. I'm saying that because the guy had credentials. He did war stories. I mean, he was famous. And at the end of his life, you know what he said? He said, not one thing I ever did, not one story I ever did even compared to the story of this, what I, we showed you with this lady having the stigmata. He said they were all meaningless compared to this. But he didn't convert for a year later. And, he looked, and in his book, when he talks about at the end of his life, he says, I don't even know why. He goes, I, I mean, logically, I'd seen enough. But I've been living a life apart from God for so long, I was, I was attached to it. I brought him to a church in Ohio in 2009. And we filmed him talking. But it really tells the story of how he actually converted. Father Renzo Cecilo is Catalina's spiritual director. He's the one you saw who was praying over her when she had the stigmata. And so Mike called Catalina and Father Renzo and invited them to go to Australia a year after he filmed her have the stigmata because he renovated a hotel, turned into a restaurant. So she did know. So she did know because <laughs> Jesus told her. And he, and he, you know, thought they were coming there for the restaurant, but um, he... Out of the blue, he just said, hey, Father, sometime in the future, could, maybe we could talk about a confession. <laughs> he used that opportunity to, to offer that confession. And that's when Mike Willis, he actually became Catholic. That's when he started practicing faith. He spent the rest of his entire life with Ron. And there's some information that I don't have time to share with you that it, this is far from done. He just came out with a new book, Ron did. He sent it to every bishop in the United States. I'll explain that story. And it is unbelievable. It's comparing the Shroud of Turin, the blood from, the, from a statue, from Eucharistic miracles in the Shroud, and all this stuff that's really mind-blowing. <clears throat> Twelve-year-old came up to me, maybe 14, about nine years ago. I did a big presentation, and there's a lot of information, a lot more than this even. And she said, that was incredible. What's the message? <laughs> I said, good point. Let me, let me let Jesus give you it. Jesus said, um, he's talking about confession. He said, it's a medicine for the soul. It's not a punishment. He said, vices are cured. How many of you ever lose your patience? I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. Patience is a, the opposite of a virtue is a vice. Does that mean we're a bad person? No, it's concupiscence, right? You, you, you're like, man, I don't know what's going on. And I go to mass all the time, do this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but we can't go 24 to 48 hours without saying something uncharitable to our wife or, or a friend or whatever, right? We deal with that. Um, my exorcist friend says that demons cannot read your mind. I didn't know that. He said they can't read your mind, but they study you. And they know everything that makes you tick. He says, have you ever thought one day, man, I just, I'm just out of sorts. <laughs> I'm irritable. <laughs> What's going on? Right? He said, well, they know exactly how to get your goat, basically. 
And you know this, but maybe I'll just say it. They want to cause division. He said there's four D's. This is always the point of attack for the demonic world, always. Think of this in every relationship you have. This is a great takeaway, the four D's. It's not on the screen. This feel, I should talk about it. First one is deception. And deception always leads to division. Think about your kids, your, your relationships, your business, your country. <laughs> Deception leads to division, and after division, that leads to diversion, which means diverting you off the path of God, taking you away from the sacramental and devotional life of the church. That's the goal, because now you're prey. Now you're prey. And then diversion leads to discouragement. The number one epidemic in the United States amongst teenagers is anxiety and suicide. I'm not saying it didn't happen. When I grew up in a town of 5,000, I don't know of one person that committed suicide. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I, I never heard of it. It's an epidemic now. They literally teach your kids on the internet how to write an end-of-life story. The good news is there's a solution. The reason I'm making the movie is not so we can make a bunch of money. I hope we make billions, not so we can get rich, so we can make another and another and another and another. The reason I'm doing that is because that's the way to fight the culture. Because we need to show the world and lead them to the sacramental and devotional life of the Catholic Church. I believe that in my heart of hearts. But we first have to attract them with entertainment. Temptations are repealed. The, the, the exorcist said 99.9% .9 of all entry points has to do with temptations. The stalking of Satan is destroyed. That's super powerful. We're talking about confession. The stalking of Satan is destroyed? This is Jesus Christ speaking to this lady. New grace is acquired and virtues grow. One of the key benefits, it says, is an increase of spiritual strength to the Christian battle. I love St. Pio. I'm sure you do too. But I bet you if you've been to, uh, I don't know, Dr. Gregory's probably put on, I don't know, 5,000 million conferences. <laughs> and you probably have his books. But if you'd make sure you get that little white book, it's a new one for him. He went and had a bunch of copies made. D leave, it's free. It's on Padre Pio. I didn't know anything about St. Pio until I read that book in 2009. I know some of you guys, I grew up with that, you know, I understand. But the outside world does not know about this. In fact, most Catholics don't know about this. I, I travel at conferences or, or parish missions all over, and 90% of the people don't know about St. Pio. So I'm sure you know, but he, he spent 15 hours a day in a confessional booth. <laughs> he could bilocate. He could be in two places at one time. He could read your soul, right? Read your heart. He had a cup of blood come out every day. His mass was three hours. <laughs> we complained about an extra five-minute homily. His mass was three hours with no homily. And they said it was like he was in an ultimate fighting uh, fight, crying and suffering. A lady says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been a month since my last confession. Look what he says. How neglectful. I didn't go to confession for 10 years uh, and Mike didn't go to confession for 30 years, and he said that it was being neglectful because she was away for a month. 
He says, oh, how neglectful that you would not yet understand the value of confession and what you lost by neglecting the sacrament. He said, confession is the soul's bath. You must go at least once a week. How often do you clean your house, your car, your body? See, we've all heard an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in the physical world, but I guess it's true in the spiritual world. That's why St. Thomas Aquinas went to confession every day. It wasn't because of mortal sin. <laughs> Five rules of holiness, I'll give you two. Weekly confession and daily communion. He said, St. Peter said, if people only appreciated the value of the Mass, look what he said. He didn't say we would need police officers every weekend. He said, or Ash Wednesday. He said we would need police officers every day. The exorcist the, who I'm doing the movie after, I've got his story rights. He said when he, he went back to church, I want to say in the 90s, might have been the 80s, maybe it was the 80s. He said there was, it was in New York City. He said there was, where he was going, there was nine masses a day. My goodness. Three hours. How can you stand so long with your feet bleeding, Father Pio? He said, when I celebrate Mass, I'm not standing, I'm hanging. How, you know what it means. I wouldn't have known what he's talking about. I think, mean, what is he talking about, levitating? No. He's talking about the fact of in persona Christi. This is what Jesus told Catalina. He said, Jesus, I'm the priest who celebrates the Mass, which why I'm offended by anyone who does not celebrate the Mass purely. I'm the true victim who offers himself as in Calvary. St. Bernard, I think the next 10 minutes will be the most... For a crowd like this, devout Catholics spent all day sitting and listening to speakers without falling asleep. The next 10 minutes is, is I think, will be the best takeaway for you. I, re I really believe that. You're going, I've seen so many of these. You're preaching to the choir, Tim. You need to talk to my grandkids. We'll get there. I, I, well, I'll get there. I got a plan. He said, a person merits more by devoutly assisting at Holy Mass. He's not talking about deacons. They're wonderful people. He's not talking about altar servers, which is awesome. He's not talking about greeters. He's not talking about bulletin hander-outers. He's talking about us in the pews. One merits more by devoutly assisting at Holy Mass than distributing all of his goods to the poor and traveling all over the world on a pilgrimage. Begs the question, how do I devoutly assist at Holy Mass? Raise your hand if you've read that book. Raise your hand if you've never heard of that book. I know. I thought I knew something about the Mass, so I read that book. It was written in the 1700s. The Incredible Catholic Mass. My goodness, is that a gem. I mean, if Mass is the highest prayer that exists, and if this is the summation, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I, you know, then I think we should really dive into the Mass. I don't think there's a better, I don't sell it, but I don't think there's a better book than that on the Mass. 
Written in the 1700s, they didn't have a bunch of like sit around other things to do. You know what I mean? They, they were serious about their work. I think they built houses and wrote books better back then, you know? Hearing mass does not merely consist in being present in person. Yeah, man, I, you know, when it's celebrated. But in offering it to God together with the priest. It's not the priest alone who offers the Mass for himself and for others. Every Christian who is present may do the same for his own needs and those of his friends. How often are you required to go to Mass? So, okay, Sundays and holidays. How often are you required to receive communion? What gives? I thought the big reason to go to Mass was to receive Holy Communion. But you're required to go to Mass, but you're only required to receive uh, once a year. You ever thought about that? Then I heard Dr. David Anders call to Communion. You guys have heard him? Come on, tune in, Google it. You've got to find him. He's the best of the best. And I called him about a week ago or a month ago, Dr. Gregory, because I wanted to confirm I got this right. I didn't go to seminary, right? So I'm like, I'm going to make sure I got this right before I tell people. And he confirmed it. He said, the main reason to go to Mass, and don't get me wrong, if you can receive communion, what a grace. But back at, even in my dad's 87, in my dad's day, they didn't receive communion every week. You went to Mass every week, but everybody didn't go receive communion, if you know what I'm talking about. Now, if you can receive it, take it every day, right? What a grace. He said, the main reason to go to Mass is to offer Jesus Christ to the Father and to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. People say, I'm not going to go to Mass. I can't receive communion. Mm -mm. He said, we are the royal priesthood, and he's the ministerial priesthood. This is not a presentation. This is an active participation. And then I read this book called The Incredible Catholic Mass. You know what it said? <laughs> that there are more graces available based upon two things at every Mass. So every Mass does not have the same graces to everybody. It's based upon two things. The priest, reverence and devotion, and our reverence, devotion, and participation. Wow. So I'm like, so you mean to tell me that if I put more into it, Everybody gets more out of it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, let's go further. <clears throat> I'm in Missouri, right? <laughs> Anybody know who Father Kuhn is? He's blind. I love him. I was supposed to go visit him this time, but he was going to be gone. I just love him. I just love him because I just sit around and I watch him do a mass in this beautiful little church out in the country. There can be four people during the day, and it's like a daggone Christmas mass, and he just takes every morsel of that mass, right? So I was at his house, and this book felt, I saw this book. I'm like, how do you got a book? You're blind, you know? And he's got all these cases of books. And so I looked at this book, and it just stuck out to me, and I said, can I take it? He said, take it. And now I know why. Father Lawrence, I never even heard him before. You probably haven't either. 
He says, the measure of profit you draw from the mass is the measure in which you offer yourself in union with Christ. Now I'm going to get to how to do it in my humble opinion. Everybody has a different way, but I'm, I'm going to give you the, what would make just logical sense. St. Pope Pius X said, if you wish to hear Mass as it should... Now look what he said. This is the key word. He says, if you wish to hear Mass as it should be heard... And then we're thinking, okay, I'm just going to listen, right? But then he says, you must follow with your eye, heart, and mouth. So he's not just talking about listening, right? All that happens at the altar. You know one of my biggest pet peeves now? It may sound crazy and don't get offended. I cannot stand when churches hand out bulletins before Mass. What's the purpose? I, I'm, so I can read about the festival while Jesus is on the cross? I'm like, if you, don't get me wrong, my wife picks him up. I'm like, put this thing, thing down. <laughs> Further, now this is my big one. Not mine, but I'm just reading. Further, you must silently pray with the priest the holy word said by him. Okay, prayer ladies. Somebody stand up and tell me the first part, not the whole thing. Pray Eucharistic prayer four without a book. Go ahead. Okay, do three. What I'm saying is, if you can't do it, what do you think we're going to do? We don't know what's going on. What do you think the teenager's doing? Can I just talk about the big elephant in the room? Now, my kids are not even close to saints, but they don't have a choice. You mean to go to Mass? That's a given, of course. I'm not talking about Mass. I'm like, when they come in, they actually have to pray the Mass. How do you know they pray it? Oh, because I have a tool, which I'll show you. And Pope Pius says, don't pray at Mass, but pray the Mass. I'm like, if you're going to do it, let's do it. If that's true, if what the church is teaching is true, why don't we all get on board and actually pray the whole Mass? But you can't pray Eucharistic Prayer 3 if you don't know it. You can. You can listen. You can assimilate it. But this ain't just about you. It's about the whole body of Christ. Now, I think it's scientifically proven that if you look at something and read it and hear it, you get, you get more out of it. I know it's true for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I get distracted. So... This is my favorite book, as far as books go, Living with Christ, because I like simple, and you can pray the whole Mass. I wish churches would, would put up on the deal, and I told a priest recently, and he agreed, a holy priest, I said, you know how you post songs? Why don't you post which Eucharistic prayer we're going to pray? Why don't you post what preface we're going to pray? I want to pray it. <laughs> Now, if it, it, how many of you have got a smartphone? Okay, now don't say I don't know how to use technology because you raised a whole family. You can figure that out, right? But this is my favorite app, um, one of my favorite apps. So I use these, these two apps to pray the whole Mass. That's what I use. Um, as far as confession goes, how many of you have, have, have used the Ladate app to make a confession? It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, like, incredible. Like, my wife and I, my, my wife is like, well, I don't know what I, I've just confessed recently. What am I going to confess? And we, we use this app. It takes you about 15 minutes. It's called for singles, young, married, whatever. It's unbelievable. It's like a root canal. You're like, oh, my gosh. 
I really did the best examination of conscience I've ever done, ever. I told this lady, she said, I said, St. Pio said we should pray, go to confession every week. She goes, every week? What would I confess? And by God's uh, grace, I said something somewhat wise. I said, Tricia, how long have you been married? At the time, let's call it 40 years. Her kids have all moved off, and they've had the same house for, call it, 20 years. And now they're moving, like physically moving. That's fun, right, when you move your spouse? And I said, hey, Trish, in the last 48 hours, has everything you said to your spouse been uplifting and charitable during the move? <laughs> no. Catalina was coming to Mass. The lady with the stigmata, she was coming to Mass. She just went to confession to a priest the, day, the night before, to a priest with a group of prayer ladies. And she walked in and the Blessed Mother, and I'll tell you where you can read this, the Blessed Mother said, I need you to make a heartfelt confession at the penitential rite. And Catalina says, Mother Mary, I just went to confession to a priest yesterday. And she said, may I remind you, Catalina, that on your way here, you were running late and the person who assists you and helps you asked you a question and you were really uncharitable. And on the way over here, a bus crossed in your path. And you had what we call road rage. And she said, and then you got to mass late, where my son is offering himself, and she said, enough, so on and so forth. It doesn't mean it's mortal sin, but you can't go one day, unless you're unusual, without behaving in an uncharitable way to somebody, typically. This is the, the, the book that you should read tonight. It's not a book, it's a booklet. Yeah. Now, the lady who read this in Iowa, she, it's called Catholic. Uh, I'll tell you where you can get all this stuff at the end if you want it. Um, you can get it all on my website for free, by the way. Um, but her name is um, um, Chris Magruder. And she read this. She has a radio show, her and Julie Nelson, called Catholic Women of Iowa or something. And she read this little booklet and she said, we got to make a movie out of it. I don't mean like a full feature film, short little movie. So what you're going to see right now came from this book. And this shows you, now the book's better than the movie, okay? But this shows you like what's happening at Mass. Um, in this little book, Jesus and Mary took the veil off and they gave Catalina Rivas, um, Jesus and Mary said, let me show you, let me, let, I want you to see physically what's happening at Mass. Your guardian angel always comes to communion with you, always. Your relatives are there. You know, your relatives. The Blessed Mother said, people go to Lourdes. People go to Fatima. She said, there's graces there. She goes, but no place in my present longer than the Holy Mass. I'm always standing behind the priest. That's what the Blessed Mother said. St. Padre Pio said that. He said he could see the Blessed Mother. Well, why not? She's always going to be by her son. It's not on the screen, but just let me just, by memory. Jesus says, you see a round white shape seemingly bearing no other glory than being raised by the hand of the priest. But I must tell you, he says, that it is I and I speak to you. So mass is the highest prayer. How do we extend that? As we know, Benedict died this year. What a great pope in my opinion. He said, adoration outside of the Mass 
Look what he says. Prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the Mass. Only in adoration. What? Only in adoration can a profound and genuine reception mature. Like we could sit on that thing for a bit to see the level of depth we're talking about. St. Teresa of Calcutta was asked this question. What would it take to end abortion in America? She said, if every parish in the United States offered three hours of Eucharistic adoration each day, abortion would end in America. And then she said, if people spent one hour a week, and I'm sure most of you do this, I'm preaching to the choir, I get it. But in case some of you have fallen away from this, get back to it. Jesus says, talking about adoration, even though most of the time you're not aware of it, you leave those encounters with renewed energy and increased strength to face life with all of its sufferings. My mother, I told you a little bit about her. Uh, my dad retired when he was 56 from the Air Force Base. Mom stayed home and raised six kids. Dad was one of those people we never ate out, ever, never, like once a year if we were lucky. We ate every night at 5.30, roast and potato, three nights a week. We got hand-me-downs, not because he was poor, because he was wise. He has the same clothes today as when I was little. He's 87. I love him for that because I was the spoiled guy who always wanted the fancy shoes, but I never got them because Dad didn't care if what I wanted. He didn't hire a plumber. He was the plumber. Not really. <laughs> he fixed his own house. He fixed his own car. And everything was orderly. And right before my younger brother was the last one in the house, my dad was going to retire. My mom went and got a job. Now, she didn't have to. But she went and got a job. And it drove my dad nuts because he wanted to actually travel. We didn't grow up going to Clearwater Beach and Disney World. We went fishing and hunting, which was awesome. I love it. He just didn't waste money, you follow? So he was going to spend money to go to Florida. For our family, dad's going to rent a place in Florida? For, after 15 years, my mom finally retired, and my dad rented a place for three months. My mom said, I'll go to Florida on two conditions. One is you have to get a cell phone. And that back, everybody didn't have one. It's 2004. And two, it has to be by a Catholic church. My brother Paul called me in 2004, frantic, and said, you better get to Georgia quick. Mom had a massive heart attack while they were driving in Georgia from Ohio to Florida. And she's in a coma, and they don't think she's going to make it through the night. I don't remember seeing my dad cry ever in my entire life except then. He was of the generation where you didn't have time to cry. He flew her back to, to Dayton, Ohio. I slept in, the, in Kettering Medical Hospital for two weeks, rubbing oils on my mom. And I remember my sister, she said, Mom really likes that tape. It was a, a Divine Mercy tape. The chaplain of Divine Mercy. I'd never heard it. I thought it was beautiful. So we started praying together. I thought she's going to make it because that's what mom wanted. She died January 19th, 
And I thought, as I, as I, as I went and stayed, I went, dad went back to the house. I stayed with him for about a week. I had to go back to Texas. I cried like a baby on the plane, of course, because I, mom was ready to go. You know, my mom used to watch EWTN. Dad would watch CNN or Fox or whatever. Today, my dad watches way more EWTN. I'll call him and he'll say, hey, I got to go. Journey home's on. Father Mitch Pacwa's coming on. <laughs> I can't believe that's my dad. There's not one day that if your spouse is still alive, and some of you, I know it's not the case, but there's not one day that my dad doesn't go to the graveyard, not one day, making sure everything's perfect. He always said, he goes, I was supposed to die first. But now I understand something that I didn't understand then. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. And then he says, in my suffering, I complete what is lacking in Christ's suffering. Did you hear that? In my suffering, I complete what is lacking in Christ's suffering. What? What are you talking about? I remember I sent this tape by Scott Hahn called Making Sense Out of Suffering. In 2009, I sent it to my brother. I go, what do you think about that? He goes, what do I think about that, Tim? I think nobody knows this stuff. I go, apparently they used to, they used to talk about offering it up and stuff. The church says suffering in union with, with a passion of Christ acquires a new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus. My gosh, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that when we suffer that we, we are participating in the saving work of Jesus Christ? That, that's a whole new, I think less people would commit suicide. I think less people would shoot people in schools if they felt their suffering had value. I believe that. St. Pio said, when Jesus wants me to know he loves me, he makes me suffer the wounds, the thorns, the anguish of his passion. Jesus himself wants my suffering. He needs them for souls. I don't have proof of this, but I believe as my mom sat in that hospital that she said, I'll take some suffering. Some of you are like that. Some of your biggest sufferings, your kids and grandkids are not hearing this right now. You're going, oh, man, I wish they could hear this. I'll show you how they can. But they may not come back to the church until you're dead, physically. Jesus said to suffer pain and sickness patiently. There's that patience again. is to reach and advance a great part of the crown prepared for you in heaven. If a sick person complains that because of their illness they can do nothing, they're wrong. Because they can do everything. How? By offering God all of his suffering with peace and acceptance. So there's these three gifts. Jesus died. Here we go. People are going to watch the Mel Gibson movie. But the way we accept that gift, you and I both know, is going to Mass. And then there's his mother. St. Peter said, the best preparation for Holy Communion is that which is made with Mary. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for doing the rosary before Mass. Thank you for all the, the hours and countless times you guys do your prayers and you think nobody's listening. Your whole family thinks you're a nut or supposed to. 
A Hail Mary is divine praise for her. The rosary is like a crown of pearls on her head. He said the rosary is the weapon against the evils of the world today. All graces given by God pass through the Blessed Mother. Here's a devotion. They talked about being distracted. We all get distracted, I'm sure. I got two things. One, there's this little book. It's called Praying the Rosary Without Distractions. It was my mom's. I got just loads of them now. But Jesus says when you pray the rosary for someone, every bead is a drop of blood. And those drops fall on the person for whom it's offered. So here's one. Think of a new person on every bead. Try it. Go through each bead and pray for a new person. Mary said, a Hail Mary said with your heart and your being. One Hail Mary said with your heart and being has more power than ten rosaries repeated by those who recite their prayers in just a routine fashion. I'm sure you know this. It's not an either or, but I have to say this. One mass devoutly assisted is way, way more powerful than saying a rosary your whole life. You should do both. <laughs> one is a sacrament. The other one is a devotion. Jesus said, spread this devotion because my mother promised, here you go, Here's, here you go, your kids, your grandkids, here you go, let this give you hope. My mother promised that, that if just one member of the family prays it every day, she will save that family. And this promise is signed and sealed by the divine trinity. That's what Jesus Christ told the lady who had the stigmata and the messages. If one of your loved ones is far away from us, pray for him. Give him to my mother. She'll bring him in her arms to me. There's my mom. My mother prayed the rosary like some of you every morning. She had a big old rosary. And, then I, and I, when she died, I got it. And then I lost it because I lose everything. And, it, and it, 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 it would light up in the dark. It would glow in the dark. You've seen those? I didn't either. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was in the dark one time. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And how perfect that is. Light in a dark room. Huh. So there she is. I have a, uh, a book. I have a book at home. called uh, Letters from Mom. So here she is. I have her, I have her uh, diaries. So I know what she's praying about, right? I'm praying about everybody she ever met in her life. And I remember when I read one, it said, uh, I don't know what to do with Tim. I give him to you. In 1999, this, this video came out. 28 million people watched it. Nothing like it's ever been filmed in human history. My mom recorded a piece of it, sent it to me. And uh, I lost it. Like I said, I lose everything. Some guy calls me out of the blue and says I was cleaning out my house. That's when my mom had died. And I thought, there's mom on the other side. I got a hold of this book. 
I, this is not a free book. It's not my book. If you want the book, you should, ha- you should get the book. And then I brought him to the United States. And there's Mike Willisey, this famous investigative journalist that 10 years before that, my mom sent me a tape on that was on Fox. Can you guys see that behind? You see the Blessed Mother? That's not a statue. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I've been to lots of churches in the last 12 years. This one right here is the first one I think I've been to since 2009 that where the Blessed Mother is directly behind the speaking podium. I have never broken down like this, I don't think ever. Maybe once, and I've probably done this hundreds and hundreds of times. Mary, as you know, has been said, has one job, to bring people to her son. Nobody told me that was the Blessed Mother's birthday. (laughs) We didn't plan it like that. Remain clean to the sacrament of confession. Nourish yourselves in purity with holy communion. And sanctify yourselves in your works each day in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, Jesus Christ says. St. Pio said, unless you are positive that you are in mortal sin, you ought to take communion every day. St. Francis of DeSales, he said, those who have little to do must receive communion often. So if you're retired, it doesn't mean you don't have a, doesn't mean you don't have a lot to do. I know you're busy, but make that a priority. As my dad would say, you make time for what's important. So if you're retired, please do go to Day of the Communion if it's possible. And then he says, the same also goes for those who have much to do. <laughs> Since then they have more need of it. So if you're not retired, go to Day of the Communion. Jesus said, use the temporary gifts only to preserve life in the brief space of time you live. Meditate without ceasing that you're just passing here and you're in charge of a very important commission, your salvation and the salvation of your brothers. I know good and well that you want all your kids and grandkids and stuff to come back to the church and you're doing everything you can. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Some people say, if you just let the Holy Spirit take over, could you imagine the disciples, Peter and Paul, staying home all day and going, we're just going to stay home and pray. Praying is a starting point, not an ending point, right? we got to cooperate with God. Now, I know people come back in different ways, but I'm really partial. I like to use my mom's formula that God gave her. I think the vast majority of people in the world are attracted to the supernatural. That's why we're going to make a movie. Thank you, Paula. She's a saint. So, at the end of this, in a minute, I'm going to give you my email. And I want you to email me and request a link. It's free. No catch. And I want you to have at your house not a Super Bowl party, not a Mary Kay party, not a graduation party. Call it what you want. I call it a signs from God party. I want you to have a movie night. And I want you to invite friends, family, people from the parish, you name it. See, in the early church, they they had the church at houses. And it spread. I went to the Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas, a mega church, non-denominational church. They had about 50 home groups going on. 
People say, I don't know why the priest doesn't talk about this. I don't want it. It ain't up to the priest. It's up to us. It's up to us. After they watch the presentation, if you're, if, you're, if you're asking yourself, what presentation? The presentation you just saw right now is what I want you to show people. And after you watch it, if you're saying, I don't know if my kids will watch it, then guilt them. <laughs> you say something like, listen, I gave you birth, or my daughter gave you birth, or my daughter-in-law gave you birth. I don't care. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is my Christmas present. This is important to me. They think I'm a fanatic. This will be, you tell them, I know you think I'm a fanatic, but I want you to, I want, this is my present. And after they watch it, I want you to give them a book. That's what you, best thing is if they'd read it with you. Now I'll tell you this quick story for Ann. This lady comes up as they always do. Her name's Sharon Spillman. She's in Pennsylvania. And she said, she heard this presentation and such and she said man I just wish my brother blah 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 I said what's up with your brother well he builds resorts you know on Cozumel or something you know something like that he's he's wealthy and he's he's been away from the church for a long time he's kind of retired and he's angry with God why is he angry because his wife died of a rare disease I said send him a book she called me back, I don't know how long ago, you know, a month later, she's practically crying. She said, not only did he read it, but he bought a case of them, and he hands them out to everybody, and he stamps something in the back of them. So I called to verify it, and this is what he stamps in the back of them. I lost my wife to a rare illness and became angry at God, but this amazing factual book brought me back. So I'm giving these books away to help others find their way back. Please pass it on to someone or return it when finished reading so we can both help others. One book. Now he buys cases of them. And guess what? He's the one that bought all the books and sent them to every bishop in the United States. One book. <laughs> it's not foolproof, because if they don't read it, it don't matter. And if you send somebody a link, the chances of a young kid watching it, because they just got 50 text messages, 40 Snapchats, 50,000 TikToks, you know as well as I knew, the enemy wants to keep people busy. You got to go old school. I'm going to have you at the house. We're going to cook some food. And if you don't know how to hook your laptop up to the, uh, up to the uh, TV, have your grandson come over. He'll do it for you. <clears throat> it's a good excuse to have him there. And you let them watch. You say, I saw some presentation on miracles. Let me speak to them. Let the Blessed Mother, let the Holy Spirit work. I have this little thing that I give at conferences. I don't have any of the books and stuff here. But if you, last thing I'll say, I didn't make a dime for 10 years. So I don't do this so I can go make a bunch of money. But what I did is I said, man, I want people to get all this stuff that I've had for 10, 12 years, all of her little booklets, you know, and the book. So he put this thing together. So if you have any interest, you see me after mass because we ain't got time before mass. We got to get ready for mass. Mass is at five, right? Okay, so we got to get done. So, so um, and, and by the way, I'm going to be on my phone during mass. I'm not text messaging, okay? I'm using it to pray the mass. Um, but if you're interested in that book or any of those resources, I'll say it like this. If $150 is in your price zone, you'll thank me for the next 20 years. 
okay? You come see me. I'll show you how to get it. Don't try to go to the website and pay all the shipping, all that kind of stuff. I'll end with this. Jesus says, you don't know how holy, how misunderstood, and how maltreated is that unique sacrament in which I give myself to you. I know you know, and you want everybody else to know. And he said, that's the reason for these books. He says, because a large part of my laity in my church are ignorant of so many things that for the other part are common and even ordinary. And the books he's talking about, all these little booklets are included in that bundle. I have a book at home called Letters from Mom, so I'll end with these three prayers, and you can pray them with me. I'm sure you pray them all the time. I said, this is my mom. She, she, I have a book called Letters from Mom. She said, make sure you pray these. She sent them to me so long, I don't even remember reading it. <laughs> she did, though. She told me about everything I'm talking about tonight, today. She's told me over the years. I didn't hear it, do you understand? So if you've been telling your kids, your grandkids, you think they're ignoring you, you know what? Eventually, eventually, train them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll come back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, and sufferings of this day. I offer them for all the intentions of your sacred heart, the intentions of the Blessed Mother, the intentions of priests and bishops, and especially the intentions of our Holy Father. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love entrusts me here, ever this day be at my side, to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. There's my contact information, and let me finish before Mark comes up saying thank you, Mark, for organizing, thank you for filming, thank you, prayer ladies, for cooking, all, everything that goes into this. Paula, Dr. Gregory, Knights, Hey, Dr. Gregory, I'm sure you guys all know him well. I tell him this all the time. I said, if he doesn't fall away, because anybody could, about 250 years from now, there's going to be a statue here in Missouri, and he's going to be wearing a cape. And it's going to say, Dr. Gregory the Great. And it's going to say, his family and friends thought he was nuts, but man, did he have guts. <laughs> Thank you for putting on the conference, brother. <laughs>